Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors like today, and moms around the world. Hi, everyone. Today, we are talking about mama overwhelm. And to start this off, I am going to read our guest's bio. Leslie Bruce is number one New York Times bestselling author and an award-winning entertainment journalist. She's the creator of Unpacified, a parenting platform for women to discuss motherhood through an unfiltered, judgment-free lens. She's a frequent contributor for The Bump and LaurenConrad.com. Her upcoming book, You Are a Effing awesome mom, will be released in fall 2019. Leslie lives in Laguna Beach, California with her husband, Yashar, their three-year-old daughter, Tallulah, and looks forward to welcoming a baby boy this month. Hi, Leslie. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us, especially with the clock ticking till you really lose like any free time that you never even had with the birth of number two. Of course. I'm so happy to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. And anything that I can do to distract from the fact that I'm bringing another human like into my family would be good. <laughs> like any day now, any day now. So not that Oprah needs a plug from me, but she talks about <laughs> setting an intention for conversations. And so this is me doing less of an intention setting and more of like, I'm going to set up an obstacle course of what I'd like to accomplish during the next 35 minutes. So in this episode, we're going to talk about stri- like our striving for outer perfection and like how that leads to overwhelm, what kind of like a mind beep that social media and Pinterest can be, uh, you know, that the overwhelming feeling that when you're with your kids, you're supposed to be working. And when you're working, you're supposed to be with your kids. I'm hoping we'll have the opportunity to bitch about both of us being on pregnancy bed rest. And so I'm just overwhelming myself with the number of topics I want to cram into this 35-minute conversation. Let's just start off with, like, what are three tips you have for moms to alleviate their overwhelm? Number one, wine. Number one is always wine. And fortunately, um, the last 40 weeks, I've been unable to indulge myself. But number two, I think, is taking a time out. I give myself a time out, which basically is an opportunity to kind of stop, pause, and, like, exit exit whatever situation you're in, breathe before you react. Um, that's something that I really try to do because I get super, I, I got react a lot and that never, never ends well for me. And then three is I plan something. And I know it sounds counterintuitive to sort of the, you know, putting more on your plate when you're already overwhelmed, but I plan either a day trip with, for myself, with my husband, with my family, something for us to kind of look forward to, because I think sometimes we're so caught up in our daily life that we need fun ways to to, to reconnect and sort of get away from our grind. I love that we're going to Ojai this weekend. I'm so excited. So you co-created Lauren Conrad's beautiful Celebrate book. And this is me reading the summary so that mamas who don't have it yet can uh, get a glimpse into this. So it's a dazzling and essential guide to entertaining filled with an inspiring array of lifestyle tips and personal stories and lavishly illustrated with dozens of color photographs throughout. How do you deal with like, okay, I'm putting something beautiful out there in the world, like something perfect that can help moms like have a great time, but also where moms might start comparing themselves to it. 
You know, like how do right. you deal with that? Because you've got such great writings about this on Unpacified. Right. Well, the great thing about um, what we were trying to achieve with Celebrate was that it was supposed to be like accessible, you know, glamour. And a lot of the things that we implemented in the event planning space was how to kind of do it yourself and like tackle it yourself and how not to get overwhelmed with like going to the florist and spending X amount on crazy arrangements and just like going to the flower mart and getting some like bases at, a, at a, like a flea market. Um, so it really is sort of about like more of like an accessible every girl's guide. People at the end of the day want, you know, they, they, they enjoy beautiful things. They enjoy beautiful spaces, beautiful photos, beautiful events. And it's just how to do it in a way that is without a breaking the bank and like B breaking your back. So I think that's sort of part of her entire brand is sort of that accessible glamour. And that's really what it sort of, sort of what we try to achieve with Celebrate. What I often say with, you know, like the Instagram world is that it's just, you're just getting a, a picture or just a moment in time and not necessarily the entire picture. So, you know, you, you might see like a beautiful photo of this amazing uh, housewarming fiesta that we threw, but you don't see the kitchen. That's like a mess with like hot tamale mix, you know? So I think it's also like common sense, right? It's sort of starting to understand that you're not necessarily always getting the entire picture, but there's ways to make things feel chic and beautiful and elegant without feeling like you have to be uh, super fancy. I love how you also say like, yeah, we like looking at pretty things. Like there's no shame in that game. And that's something that like I've been... That is actually a relief to me to be like, no, I like looking at pretty things. Like I've personally been feeling some, not guilt, but ambivalence because like as a recovering perfectionist, I, I don't want to give moms false expectations of what motherhood should look like and just like overwhelm the right. heck out of her. And so with Atomic Moms, it's like that struggle of like, but I do want to put up pretty pictures because people like pretty pictures and I like pretty pictures. And I appreciate your writing about the photo shoot aspect of a lot of these mom blogs and that right because I haven't seen that we talk about how it's like you know people schedule them and but I haven't seen in print someone saying like no 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 like people like call glam squad you know they have a bunch of props I went to a girlfriend's house two weeks ago to drop off a bunch of baby clothes and there was her interior designers were there and they were doing a photo shoot. The entire garage was just full of props and flowers and all of these things that my friend doesn't own. They were going to use it for their their own like interior design site. But like just that things are done on such a Hollywood scale. That's not often shared. Yes, 100%. And I think that it gives moms, and especially I feel like new moms who have sort of in the weeds of that transition into motherhood, it gives them really unrealistic expectations. And I, I, I say that it's a form of like optic peer pressure. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> we're, we're, we're putting this pressure on their shoulders to kind of either be perfect or pretend that you're perfect. And, you know, when we finally, as new moms, when we like, you know, manage to like shower and like blow dry our hair, we're like, snap like a dozen selfies or maybe like a couple oh, yeah. dozen selfies and find like the one that looks good, filter it to like, you know, high heaven and then like put something on Instagram with a post like, Oh, motherhood's the like most challenging but rewarding thing I've ever done. When really it's like, just like I said, like that corner of your, 
of your existence and not the entire picture. I have changed shirts before just so it seems like it's a different day. Like I've washed my hair and it looks good. Or if I got my hair cut, like I'll change my shirt on occasion and be like, here's another picture for a week from now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm very honest about like, that's why I always tag when I'm putting stuff on Instagram because it's true, right? It's your, It's for me, I'm trying to balance that reality of motherhood with these beautiful photos because, you know, nobody frames the wedding photo of themselves rocking a double chin. Like nobody (laughs) wants to put that out there in the world. And so the same thing goes with Instagram, which really sort of is like this living, breathing scrapbook for people. They want to put on beautiful pictures, but I call out the fact that I tag my photographer. Like I have a professional photographer taking, you know, 90% of my photos. And a lot of these require photo shoots that I'm like working on, like (laughs) looking up things on Pinterest for for weeks prior going up to it to create these beautiful photos because that's part of what I do for business. But it is, it's glam squads. It's, you know, somebody there to help me with props. It's, it's creating all of this stuff prior. Those things just don't happen in this like organic vacuum. So I always try to be more realistic with like, you know, there's a beautiful picture right now of me on my, uh, on my couch with looking at my belly and literally in the picture, I'm like, I'm getting punched in the cervix with like by tiny fists. That was the post um, where I was like, oh, no, I'm reaching out to Leslie right now and asking her to come yeah. on the show. <laughs> Those tiny fists inspired me. <laughs> Nothing like a good oh my uterus God. punch. <laughs> right? Everyone loves a good uterus punch. I was actually, my doctor said it's called lightning crotch. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know what's the worst phrase. <laughs> no. Oh, I'll tell you a worst phrase. Are you ready? <laughs> Leslie, we don't know yeah. each other, but but we're getting very intimate. When I had my second daughter, Eliza, who's now 10 months old, There was a lot of pain, I mean, partly because it was unmedicated, but the doctor described, what did she call it? Like road rash. And I was like, oh my God, can you come up with another (laughs) phrase of like why my insides are still hurting after she's been pushed out in four, like my birth was only four hours long. It was so outrageously intense. Uh, Yeah. I can't remember if it was skid marks or road rash, but either way, it was just so (laughs) offensive. And I was like, this is horrible. I'm not doing this again. You would think that people would start coming up with a little bit more like, you know, delicate, uh, delicate vernacular when talking about this. Right. So, okay, I want to ask you about work next, because I'm guessing that you were working on the Lauren Conrad book shortly after Tallulah was born. Was that the project you were working on? Yes. Okay. Um, I believe we started on Celebrate five or six months. Yeah, yeah, five or six months, and it kind of went into full swing over summer. So she was probably closer to eight, nine months. So that's amazing that you're going back into that world. It must have been so strange, the dichotomy of creating these, like, beautiful spaces and then going home to, like, you know, just, like, what a messy existence early motherhood is. Right. You say that you're good at compartmentalizing. I am not good at compartmentalizing. Like my boobs right now are like, they're screaming at me because I should be feeding my baby. (laughs) Like I just, I can't ever just like focus on one thing at a time to go back to the beginning. Like when I'm here working on the podcast, I feel like I should be with my kid. When I'm with my kid, I feel like I'm supposed to be working on the podcast. So how do you compartmentalize and like, how do you handle work overwhelm? It was a struggle. And so part of what I'm I'm doing with this book that I'm writing is all about this transition into new motherhood because I feel, you know, this is getting into a different topic a bit, but I feel there's women today are just uniquely unprepared for, for motherhood. <laughs> I think you're totally and right. More so than any generation past. And I have a whole theory about that and we can discuss it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that I'm laughing. I'm only laughing because it's so terrifying. <laughs> and it's, yes, but it's also like true. We're kind of set up not to... We're sort of set up to 
to fail in a way. We don't use our community. We think we can do it on our own. You know, when's the last time you heard of a kid taking a home ec class? Like I, I we didn't, we didn't have these things innately trained. And my mother sort of, you know, pushed me into like academics and my activities and my hobbies that she was never like, she was never like, you know, go get a babysitting job or help me around this. Like she was always wanting to encourage me to pursue a career because she was a stay at home mom and she wanted for me what she felt that she didn't have. And not that she was resentful about it, but she wanted, she wanted that for me. And I feel like a lot of our generation, you know, twenties and thirties women who are having kids, their mom sort of encouraged them to follow their dreams and didn't necessarily teach them like the, you know, uh, the simplicities of like sewing a button, which I don't know how to do. Me neither. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but when it comes to working and sort of going back to that and like finding that I've, just, I've completely thrown the word balance out of the window. It's just, I find that I need to reshift my priorities and that's a daily thing in order to kind of stay afloat. You know, you're, you're never going to do everything a hundred percent every day. You're not going to do your job, yourself, your home, uh, your husband, your friends, and your baby. Like some days, some cups are going to get filled and some cups aren't. And the, the, the juggle is every day sort of switching that out, right? So the next day you can shuffle the cups and so on and so on. And hopefully by like the end of the week or the end of two weeks, you spend enough time filling each of those cups that none really seem neglected. I mean, that's, that's the hope anyways. Like, I, I mean, I used to want to do things at a hundred percent. I'm, you know, like, like you, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm still have my OCD bouts, but like, so it was hard for me just get used to the idea that sometimes I'm just going to do things at like 70% instead of the hundred percent. I know I'm capable of if given the opportunity of the time. I just don't have the opportunity or time. So instead of like, I joke that instead of like, I don't keep it hundred, I keep it like 70, 75. That. No, that's so good. I mean, there's so many similarities between us. I, I, uh, which was what was so fun, really digging deep into your blog. So I was like, oh, my God, we have so many things in common. <laughs> but one of them is, I think, ooh, right before I got pregnant with Eliza, I was like, I'm going to have a B-plus year. Like, that was my <laughs> motto. I'm going to have, I think I said it on the podcast, I'm going to have a B-plus year. Because, yeah, I'm someone that's like, if I can't go 100%, then I'm not going to even do it. But when you become a parent and there are other obligations, like, you can't do it. It's still worth getting 70% or a B plus, like it's still worth showing up. You're still moving the ball forward. And it goes back to that idea of when we sort of set out into the world as like young adults, you know, we were able to kind of, we wanted to, you know, crush it, slay it, kill it, do whatever. And we kind of had that ability. And so now uh, when we're adding motherhood into our realms and it is beyond a full-time job, it's like an entire, I mean, it's, 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 caring as for another person as much, if not more than yourself um, on top of trying to do everything we sold our hours with prior. It's just some balls are going to drop and it's, and some dishes are going to break and you just have to sort of get used to that. And I think for a lot of women today, that's a hard reality to grasp. Well, I'm thankful for your book coming out then. Thank you. Because that's a really, really important topic. I, what, side note, I, when my four-year-old was born, I didn't realize, this is so embarrassing, how many hours there are in a day, like how many hours I'm expected to be in charge of this other person. I don't know what I thought motherhood would be, but I 
think I thought they would do. I just imagined she'd automatically be in fifth grade and like doing her homework in her room or something. <laughs> like the relationship I had with my mother. Like I just thought that like <laughs> I would see right. her on occasion and it would be great and she'd love me and she'd show me like her craft projects about how much she loved me. And I would be able to, like, do my own thing. And then you're like, no, like, every move you make, you're aware of this other being that you're responsible for. It's just a trip. I feel like we do so much in pregnancy to prepare for baby. And we don't realize that very quickly after being a baby, they become toddlers and preschoolers. And that's an entire different world. Um, And it's, it's insanely more challenging on so many different on so many different levels. And I had a baby to have a baby. I didn't have a baby to have a toddler. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't sign up for like the three and a half year old tantrum I had this morning. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, much. I, I agree. Talk about overwhelm. Uh, right. And then our, yeah, our children's overwhelm. Oh boy. Uh, today, my daughter is, she doesn't have school. It's like a teacher in service day. And mm-hmm. she had major overwhelm about the fact that we weren't going to let her watch a movie this morning. Um, but I knew I was going to speak, be speaking to you. And I was like, I got to figure out what she's up to. And so she wanted to create a school day. And I was like, this is awesome. But it was cool because she wanted to do it. Like she decided what each period was going to be. She was like, then we're going to do snacks. And then we're going to play baseball. And then we're going to practice our letters P and our number eight. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and and she was able to mm, – basically, we were dealing with major overwhelm. I think at the idea that there wouldn't be any sort of routine for her. And then once she had her fit and got it out of her system, I was kind of – I was able to ask her, like, well, what do you want to do? And she said she wanted to go to school at home. And so we were able to come up with that solution together. And so, I mean, I guess that would be another overwhelm tip. I would give is like some let the kids solve the problems with you. I want to talk about your pregnancy though. Uh, this one because we were both on bed yeah. rest. You at the beginning and me at the end. My listeners had to like live through those months with me. I mean, for a podcast, those are I, I don't know. It did really well, but I was so down. So can we talk about right. what an overwhelming experience pregnancy can be and and your oh, yeah. super crazy, crazy the first several months? With my first pregnancy, I literally, like, I pulled out my IUD, I looked at my husband, and two days later, we were pregnant. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. it. Like, and I had a textbook pregnancy. And so I always knew that going into this pregnancy, like, I warned myself, I'm like, oh, you know, that was really, like, we were super blessed, we were super lucky, like, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice. And so... I prep. I said all of those things, but I never actually prepared myself. I think <laughs> in the back of my head, I was still thinking like, yeah, way, no way. Like I'm a fertile myrtle. Like this baby's going to like, you know, no time at all. And we had tried for, for quite a while, about a part of a year before I finally, you know, talked to a friend about it. And she was like, it's go see, go, go see a specialist, go see somebody. Why are you, why are you waiting and creating the stress for yourself? Just go get answers. Just go get the test, make sure everything's cool and just, see what your options are. There's no harm in that. And so we started the process of going um, to a fertility doctor. And the first thing that he wanted to do is make sure that all of my, you know, all of my parts were working. So I went in for an HSG, which for, for listeners who don't know, that's basically a, an X-ray of your reproductive organs that they do by shooting like a dye, like an orange dye through 
your uterus and your fallopian tubes to make sure everything's flowing so that, you know, an egg can actually get through or fertilized egg can get through and attach. So I remember some laying there and the doctor told me everything was fine, but there was a little mass that was not causing, that was causing my uterus not to fill up. And so that, you know, it looked good, but that I should probably just talk to my doctor about it. And I didn't think twice about it. I was like, okay, you know, he was, I just had literally had an ultrasound like a week ago. Like, I'm sure it's fine. I'll see my doctor again in two weeks. Lo and behold, I'm pregnant. And that little mass was my baby. And it sort of created this domino effect of things. I ended up being high risk. I was seven weeks along and I didn't know it because I had what they call like a phantom period and ended up going to like the Vuvka Copolo matches and like tying <laughs> one on. So sorry, little guy. He's, um, it's like a, a preview of his college years to come, but, um, <laughs> a fancy college. Yeah. <laughs> that was very much like my university of, that was my university of St. Andrews like experience. That would have been the Vuvka Copolo match. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is more like the, like the, the large bottle of cook for like two ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. Be his experience. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I ended up getting a subchorionic hematoma, which is basically like a huge blood lifter that's in your uterus. And it was big and it was bigger than the fetus at the, at the time. And the concern with that is that the larger it gets and the more you kind of aggravate it, the larger it'll get and could actually cause you to spontaneously miscarriage by pushing out the baby just because there's not enough space for two of them to exist. So there's so much guilt about that because I was bleeding constantly didn't, before I was diagnosed with this, thinking that I was miscarrying, which I wrote about in, in that post because I didn't, everywhere I was looking for stories about people going through this, everyone sort of tiptoes around, around it. And I understand it's insanely personal, but I was looking for the support of like, I needed to know that somebody else is laying naked on their bathroom floor sobbing because they were like, you know, soaking maxi pads, thinking that the baby that they fought so hard for would, they were losing it and they were in real time losing it. It was the most overwhelming. That's such a great point. There's something about in real time. Anyway, continue. Yeah. That's just what makes your blog so powerful. Go on. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I wrote, I wrote a lot of the the content that I ended up sharing as it was happening. And I just remember, you know, it was, it was a very emotional, uh, it was, it was the, the, the worst thing I feel like I've ever felt in my life. And so lo and behold, every time I go back, I went every morning, every morning after these kind of bouts happened, they usually happened at the end of the day when I was on my feet, I'd go to the doctor and there was a heartbeat and the baby was fine. And they didn't see that just the hematoma for so long. They think that the hematoma happened as a result of getting those HSG. Hematomas happen when you implant and then for some reason it detaches and then re-implants. So usually during those HSGs, the, the, the uh, baby wouldn't survive, but my baby reattached with this, with this hematoma. And once they figured out that that was what it was after about four weeks of sort of incessant bleeding, they realized, and then I was put on bed rest for another six weeks. I was on sort of modified before because I didn't know what the bleeding was coming from. And so then I, yeah, I was on a blood rest through Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh yeah. And, I want to clarify, uh, you were on bed rest, bed rest, or you were not allowed to like get out of bed or yeah. Right. You couldn't even sit at your desk. I wasn't allowed to be at a 90 degree angle. Yeah, like that's I was supposed to be wild. Basically they just didn't want the like laws of gravity to like, Wow. Uh, to, to, to work to my, um, you know, disadvantage. 
So yeah, so we, you know, had to go through all of that. And then finally, after the new year, it officially kind of cleared up and passed. And so then finally, around 20 weeks, I could start kind of going back to my routine and living my life again. But because I was on bed rest for so long, and then I started chasing around my toddler, I got a stress fracture in my foot. So now I've had like a big a fractured foot and a boot on for like the second half of my pregnancy. <laughs> so horrible. It's just so horrible. It's, it's um, horrible. Okay, really fast to go back because I just have one quick question because I want to ask you about sure. like, what did you do to help your mama overwhelm while you, while you were on bed rest? But one question I have is why didn't they do a pregnancy test before they did the dye flushing through your system? Because I'm sure that's a question that a right? lot of listeners have. Yes. And I don't know the answer to that. I've spoken to my doctor, my fertility doctor, and now my um, my regular OB about it. And it's not California state law. It should be. And this is a totally honest confession on my part. If I would have lost this pregnancy, I probably wouldn't have made it my mission to do so, to make sure that this doesn't happen to other women. But I guess because I was so lucky, I don't have as much as like, I don't, I, I'm not still, I, I've moved past the grief of sort of what kind of we went through. And, you know, uh, hopefully one day when I, when I get the time, I can, I can, I can fight for that. But I was like, I remember looking at my doctor. I'm like, can I sue? Like, what the hell? Like, how did they not make me take a pregnancy test? The, the, the nurse I remember had asked me like, are you pregnant? Are you sure you're not pregnant? And I said, well, that's kind of why I'm here having a little trouble. Right. So I thought that there was no way in hell. So what were the things you did on bed rest? Because here, you want to hear what I did that just led to more overwhelm and horror? I watched CNN like around the clock and it was the worst thing I could have ever done. And House of Cards before there was like the whole scandal. So like I wasted all my time watching Kevin Spacey, horrible person on House of Cards. And I was wondering why I was in such a bad mood. Anyway, go on. Um, it was a lot of Channing Tatum movies. I'm not going to lie. Oh, that's a, but that's uplifting. <laughs> it it is, but they were also the ones on E. Where like every ten minutes, there's like a, a commercial break. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, I did a lot of. I was doing things with sort of my blog and like connecting with with women, um, working a lot on my book proposal. Um, to kind of get my mind off of it. I didn't want to plan anything for baby. I was writing about my experience at that time because it was one of the few things that I could do um, is sort of I could prop myself up on pillows as long as I wasn't fully kind of upright and write at my laptop. So, so that was what I was able to do to sort of check a few things off of my to-do list because it was getting really, really hard to continue relinquishing all of my kind of mom duties to my husband. And I had a lot of I had a lot of guilt and this is something that I said to my husband and I, I had, I hesitate to say it now, but I'm just going to say it. I said to him, I'm like, if I I'm so done not living my life, I'm missing all of this time with my daughter. This is our first holiday in our new house and all of this. And if I'm going to lose this pregnancy, like what am I doing this for? And it was like this horrible guilt that I felt that I wasn't being present for my daughter because of what was happening to my body and my guilt feeling that I had done something by not demanding a pregnancy test prior. Um, and my daughter didn't understand why I wasn't engaging with her anymore. I was a pretty, you know, like, you know, we'd go, go to the park, we would do things. I'd pick her up, I'd throw her around. I couldn't, we'd, we'd sit in the kitchen and make, I couldn't stand on my feet and make her dinner. Um, 
So she didn't really, and she was at an age where she had just turned three. So she didn't, she could get what's going on, but she didn't understand it. And we weren't telling her yet that it was because of a pregnancy because, you know, how do I explain to her when the, if the baby wasn't going to be there? So it was a really intense time. When I think of bed rest or when I would mention it, people would be like, well, this is such a great time for you to catch up on things or, oh, that sounds great to watch movies all day. And what I think uh, isn't mentioned is this horrible unknowing because you're on bed rest for a medical reason and it's because you're trying to protect your baby and you don't know if everything's going to turn out okay. And that's a very, very difficult a state of mind when you are, uh, th- there aren't ways to distract yourself, you know, it's right. like you're stuck right. and you're stuck th- worrying about, you know, the potential outcomes. Anyway, it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, it was, it was really, I mean, obviously I would do it for 10 times longer, 10 times mm-hmm. over, uh, knowing now how things have worked out. And, um, but it's, it's hard to like enjoy that quote unquote, Oh, time off, you know, that people think that you're getting as a result of it. Like, Oh, you can just like hang out and read books and do whatever. It's like, no, I'm in a constant state of like, uh, spiraling, but mm-hmm. thank you. Right. 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 <laughs> right. So some of us are overwhelmed by criticism, like by those around us or more likely like the voices in our head, you know, when I call them my tribunal of assholes and, our job as parents, like it isn't to be that critic. You know, we teach them right and wrong, but it's not our job to like nitpick. So I'm wondering if you would share your story about your teacher, Mrs. Brown, because I think it's so important that like your teacher, we uh, support our kids and whatever they're doing, because there's going to be enough critics in their lives. Right. So I believe it was in third grade and I've always been, I've always been, a writer. I've always liked stories. I've always liked books. And when I was little, I would always make books. I would write stories. I would like staple computer, fold computer paper, staple it and make my own sort of books. And apparently I had horrible handwriting. Um, And so my dad, who is very, uh, very academic in how he thinks and things are very, he's very math minded and likes everything sort of clean and neat. He had a parent-teacher conference, and he was concerned about my handwriting. And he goes, "Well, they showed Miss Brown showed my dad a story that I wrote." And he goes, "Well, how can you give her, you know, a, a good grade on this when this writing is just horrible? It just looks like chicken scratch." And and but I can preface this by saying that my dad is one of the most supportive people of my right. career ever. But and so. Uh, and Miss Brown said, well, how do you think that would make Leslie feel if she got this page back and all I did was circle her, you know, poor grammar or her misspellings or every time a word, you know, didn't appear neat? How do you think that would make her feel? Do you think that she would f- want to keep writing? Do you think she would want to keep expressing herself? She was, I don't want to do that to her. I want to encourage her to continue this because this is what she loves and this is what she enjoys doing. This stuff comes later. And so I think, you know, thank you, Ms. Brown <laughs> for, yeah. for telling, keeping my dad in check because I think, you know, like any kid, if we, like any child, if we 
pick at the little things that they do and don't encourage them, don't kind of step back and look at the overall picture, we're creating a lot of insecurities and kind of chipping away that confidence when the one thing that we want to give our kids is confidence. May we all be Mrs. Browns to our kids. <laughs> um, right, and also right. like in the uh, chicken scratch. Oh, wow. I'm really just going to jump into this metaphor that it's going to make no sense. Everyone hang on. Okay. Like if our lives, like as mothers, like if it feels like it's chicken scratch, like you're just like there's crap everywhere. <laughs> like it's you've got a million emails right. you haven't returned. I mean, I have no idea what's growing in the backseat of my car from my daughter's. <laughs> like, I mean, it is so there's a lot. Like I found a lunchbox from Friday on Monday and I was like, OK, I got to I got to figure this out. But going back to my metaphor, if, if we are we might look around it might not look pretty it might look like chicken scratch but there is there is potentially like a really really beautiful story like within that chicken scratch like we could be living like these amazing wonderful lives and it's not just about like what it looks like from the outside and in comparing it because by the way in 20 years like i mean i wish i could say to your dad like everyone's gonna be on computers anyway it won't matter like who cares like no one's gonna care about the chicken scratch someday that's so funny and so true. We're going to look back on the, our lives and we're going to think about the stories that lived within the chicken scratch. You got that, moms? <laughs> so <laughs> occasionally we do a mom bomb, which is an inspiring quote that gets us through the week. And I asked you for one. And so it's from Andy Warhol. I am personally obsessed mm-hmm. with Edie Sedgwick. Like talk about someone with oof. I, fe- I wish her family had been nicer to her like when she was growing up because maybe, you know. It wouldn't have ended so tragically. But anyway, back to our inspiring quote. Please share it with us, Leslie. Uh, Don't think about making art. Just get it done. Let everyone else decide if it's good or bad, whether they love it or hate it. And while they are deciding, make even more art. Love that so much. Me too. So good. Okay, so how can all of our listeners find your art? So you can find me at unpacified.com. Um, or on social media uh, at Leslie and Bruce. Um, and you'll see a lot of <laughs> pretty pictures of my actually spiraling existence. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Yes, 100%. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, people like looking, like I said, people like looking at pretty pictures, but they like to just know that it's not actual reality. Like if you watch my Insta stories, like I'm always a hot mess. I'm always like, you know, bitching about something. <laughs> um, things are always like, I'm, I'm usually, it's usually me and um, like a customer service representative, <laughs> like having like <laughs> full on war. Wait, yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I loved, you had one where you were complaining about your husband's bathroom mirror and how it's just like splashed with water, like there's water dots understand. all over it. Um, I don't understand what he's doing in there. Like it's everywhere. The water's everywhere. I'm like, you don't know how to dry your feet when you get out of the shower. It's he's an, I live with an animal. He's an animal. Well, I have observed my husband in the wild uh, and <laughs> he washes his face as though he's a bird in a bird bath. Like he, the way he cups his hands and he just like, He's like a little bird at a bird bath and it just like goes everywhere. 
I don't understand it. So yes, everyone check out Leslie's Insta stories for sure. And (laughs) we look forward to your book. Will you please, I mean, whatever, I'll keep track of it and I'll definitely be sure to share it in the fall of 2019. And Congratulations on your new little one. You get to meet any day. Thank you so much. We're we're equally uh, excited and terrified. <laughs> that sounds super healthy. That sounds like exactly where you're supposed to be. <laughs> I agree. So listeners, please subscribe on iTunes and share and comment on our social media. It helps new moms find us. And if you have ideas about how I can get the word out, let me know. My goal for summer is to cover all of the podcast technical costs through advertising. So let me know. Hit me up. And until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. 